0: Welcome, and thanks for joining us. This is the Coding Compliance Podcast, The Good, Bad, and Ugly, where we break down the complexities of billing and coding in healthcare and discuss how to operate and hopefully excel in an industry imposed with complex and ever-changing regulations. Here are your hosts, our authority on compliance, Ross Ronan, and coding experts, Neil Green and Mark Babst.
1: Well, welcome to the Good, Bad, and the Ugly: The Coding Compliance Podcast. Um, here with Neil Green and Mark Babs. Good morning, or good afternoon, gentlemen. Hello. Today we're going to be talking about the dangers of commingling uh, outsourced billing and and coding. Um, and, and really, as we talk about defining that that issue out, it's it's interesting because I've had a, a conversation with a number of my clients who who really have been talking about what do we do with revenue cycle? Uh, do we keep it in house? Do we outsource it? Do we do we find the right experts in the industry to help us um, be better, not only from a compliance perspective, but a revenue capture perspective? And in the really, this conversation is is really going to dig deep into which parts do you outsource, and then if you do outsource them to whom. Uh, a lot of companies feel like they they are the best stewards of their money, um, which is true when you talk about collections and, and and putting money in your accounts. But but ultimately, when it comes to um, you know dropping the bills and and having the right coding on each one of the bills, really, the experts in the industry um, provide a better yield on the average than most. so so wanted to define that a little bit. Um, you know Neil, do you want to add any more definition to what we want to talk about today so that we can sure. kick off into it?
2: Sure. so the revenue cycle companies obviously come in all shapes and sizes. so I think what we are trying to differentiate today is companies that are multi-specialty companies and revenue cycle um, that are in the unfortunate position of trying to deal with a multitude of different types of uh, functions in revenue cycle to provide their product. So there's charge capture, billing, claim submission, electronic submission carrier interfaces, all sorts of things that they have to take care of. And of course, coding then becomes a component of it. Not all revenue cycle companies um, offer that. A lot of it has to do with liability. Some of it has to do with the fact that um, they, they simply don't feel they can find the appropriate resources, but there are more companies than not that do offer it. And then that starts to become a matter of size and what the company can afford Uh, in terms of a broadband of specialties and specialty coders. So one of the things that we see constantly is that uh, small, medium-sized companies in revenue cycle uh, are in a position where they can only spend so much on coding, which forces them to uh, create this elasticity of a a coder where they're expected to be able to code across... um, 50 some odd specialties. And that's just not realistic. There are, in my uh, 40 years of experience in (laughs) billing and coding, I have not run into uh, coders that can really do that. That doesn't exist. And so um, uh, what ends up happening is that you end up with this sacrifice of accuracy and therefore revenue um, by not being able to separate the duties of coding from the other functions of revenue cycle.
1: And really, it's both sides, right? So, from a, from a compliance perspective, you get you get both sides of the spectrum. I and mean, it's usually one or the other, right? Where you have a tremendous undercoding effort going on, or this tremendous like I don't really understand the rules and and the overcoding effort. Hardly do you see kind of a combination of both, where they they wash out in the compliance, or they never wash out anyway. Um, but 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 you know, you generally see one or the other. And and I've seen a lot of these revenue cycle companies trying to do. Everything for everybody. Right. So be one stop shop for, um, for these, different types of healthcare organizations to say come to me. And you know, the old adage, Jack of all trades, master of none, really plays into effect here. And, um, you know, really finding where where those specialties are are really important. Um, when we talk about the different skill sets, Mark, you want to talk a little bit about what the different skill sets are that are required for, you know, billing and coding if you're outsourcing them. Are they different if you're just talking about billing? Are they different if you're just talking about coding? Like how does Actually- it work?
3: A- absolutely. <clears throat> billing has uh, over the, the, the years, billing has become increasingly automated. Um, and um, the computer systems are, uh, are really very competent in terms of uh, getting the bills out. This, the, the, real, the steps in this in, in, in getting the bills out starts with the registration which is also um, frequently automated where the patient sits in front of a, uh, their, their computer at home or in the waiting room with a, a laptop or a uh, iPad and, and types in their name and their, their plan information uh, insurance information uh, and all of the demographics. Uh, that goes right into the computer. Um, then their, um, uh, the next step is uh, to capture what the doctor or healthcare provider is doing. The um, step after that is sending out the bills. Again, that's largely automated. in fact it's almost totally automated. Um, and the, the final step would be the payment posting again which is largely automated, if not almost entirely from some providers. that the, the one step that I, I mentioned that charge capture, is the step that requires cognition and decision making, and um, although there have been some attempts to automate it uh, in, the, in recently with uh, word recognition software and uh, and other software, uh, it uh, uh, automated coding just doesn't work. It's not ready for prime time. So. Um, the, the skills involved in running a billing operation and being a good biller, collector, AR follow up—they're they're, they're very different, and they, they don't require the fund of knowledge of the clinical specialty that that doctor or that client is uh, of the billing company is is uh, practicing. So um, you you need uh coders with specialty specific skills that um are trained they're experienced they're tested uh on how this is done um, and sorry phones ringing over here um and uh that th- th- that requires a recruitment effort a testing effort and an ongoing quality assurance effort, all focused on that one client's particular uh, uh, specialty because it's different. What what a cardiology coder needs to know is different than what an orthopedic coder needs to know or is different than a rheumatology uh, coder needs to know. And um, that's what makes a huge difference in optimizing payments and reducing compliance risks. So, so, those are you know that, that's my view on the different skill sets that are required.
1: Yeah, and 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 when you really look at a very robust um, RCM billing platform that has really uh, invested in a, a program to say we're going to take all aspects right anywhere from you know charge capture, um, anywhere from chart capture to coding, <clears throat> to, to dropping the bill, to follow up, to denials, to, you know, telephone inquiry or verifying insurance. I mean, all of those aspects of the spectrum, the circle, the revenue cycle, if you will, um, you know, there's there's so many intricate parts to those that every one of those could have its own department and its own oversight and its own management, right? And when you say, when you look at a, a, a billing company that has, a coding functionality, even across multi-specialties, specifically across multi-specialties. Neil, what do they really need to have in place to say, this is the best thing to to be able to function as a billing company and all in billing company? I mean, they they need so many resources for QA, right? And auditing and monitoring of their own coders. it almost seems like it's it's a more an investment on the coding side that may take away from their other billing practices. Like so, how how do how should they be looking at that from that standpoint? And is it even, is it even viable from that perspective?
2: Yeah, so I think one of the phenomenons that uh, exists today, it's always been there, but it's it's heightened today over previous decades is there's a sort of race to the bottom to have the lowest fees for revenue cycle management. And in the context of that, then that reduces uh, the sort of things that you're talking about. How much money do I have to spend on auditing, recruitment, um, building expertise in a specialty? And oftentimes what that's led to is uh, revenue cycle companies offshoring their coding. And um, unfortunately, this represents a huge bunch of problems for clients, Uh, oftentimes who don't even know that their material is being sent out of the United States. Now you're opening up HIPAA issues, um, and it goes to these companies uh, halfway across the world uh, that don't have HIPAA law, don't have cybersecurity law, don't have (laughs) various admission issues that they're going to stand behind. And so you open this whole breadbasket of problems. Plus in, in countries like India and Singapore and all these, none of these company countries function um, under the CPT coding that is done in, for physicians. They function under ICD-10 procedural coding uh, in most of these other countries. And it's totally different. And so... If you go looking for coders in these countries that have grown up learning the coding industry, you can't find them. They have to work for a coding company that has to invest in training them from the ground up. That's different than the culture we have in the United States where people go through the A.P.C. or Hema, they then spend time apprenticing in places and then they then spend years and, you know, in our environment, we're looking for people who have multiple years of experience in a single specialty. It's very, very hard to find offshore, very hard. And so um, these sort of economic factors really weigh in on all the aspects that you need to build a good audit department, good um, quality control, testing, all of the things that Mark referred to before. It's really, really difficult to do that but the dollars keep shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. We, I mean, we see that in this country without revenue cycle, just happening at large healthcare organizations that don't see the value in auditing and, um, and spend, you know, they hire a handful of auditors and, you know, they, they try to use those auditors across huge multitudes of specialties that, it's impossible to, for them to have the knowledge of so.
1: What's interesting about the outsourced or offshore yeah. coding perspective um, that a lot of, like you said, a lot of billing companies do that because um, it's, it's, it's cheaper on the average. I think that there's a, a reduction in, in fees there. But what's very interesting that, that most people may not know about this is compliance officers are asked to attest on the average um, by not only commercial payers, but managed Medicare, managed Medicaid, um, and not so much you know, straight Medicare or Medicaid, they're asked to attest whether or not they use overseas companies um, and that whether or not their information is sent overseas. So a lot of people don't know that, may not know that, um, but I used to get letters all of the time asking me to attest that nothing has been sent over. So. When you do send things overseas to do it, there's a there's a, a, a roundabout way of doing things that you can't send that information over for all the reasons you stated, HIPAA issues. As a matter of fact, Medicare has stated very specifically you may not access our systems overseas. It has to be in the United States. You can't get into to the process of submitting a bill electronically. So it has to be through generally through an, a, an American company um, before you can even do it. So there's a lot of hoops to jump through. Um, as opposed to just having a really good um, coding company within the United States that's able to, to work within the guidelines. And and you're not really putting the compliance officers in a really uh, precarious position of having to attest to all these payers. So just wanted to, to bring that up. And Mark, did you have any comments on on those issues?
3: Um, well, I just want to reiterate uh, a couple of Neil's points. Um, Coding um, is done by overseas coders is, you know, they they got their knowledge from book learning and in the United States, most coders get their knowledge from being mentored in a medical practice or, or in a hospital or in a surgery center. And it's really hard to take someone give them a few lectures and expect them to, you know, and in a foreign country where they don't use these systems um, to expect them to be accurate. And it's, um, uh, it, it, and, and a lot of times you know, what, what they end up doing is uh, sacrificing the accuracy and revenue for cheap labor. That is, um, it, it, it just doesn't work. And uh, and without the auditing that Neil mentioned, the fact that it doesn't work is essentially kept secret. They their heads are in the sand. They, the clients' heads are in the sand because they don't check it. If I was a doctor, you know, I would want my my work to be checked, reviewed, uh, my coding at least. Uh, Often, as as frequently as as a, as a biller checks the a delinquent account, if not more so, so.
1: And oftentimes, you actually end up relying on the client to double check things because yeah. they're in the industry, right? And that's that's not what they're paying for. They're not paying to double check the coding and billing done by somebody they're paying to do it, right? And so, you know, having that kind of staff and that kind of program to oversee your outsourced program is not is not viable from that perspective
3: and neil's comment about the financial race to the bottom is really valid when it comes to shopping for billing companies everybody's looking to get it for the cheapest amount of money when in fact they should be saying i want the owner of my billing company driving a (laughs) mercedes-benz because the more money the billing company makes the more money i'm making so um yeah. So
1: it, it, how do you look at the incentives? How is that different from like a billing company versus a coding company? I mean, does that play into to how you evaluate whether you're to outsource or insource, or or do they have different incentives that that makes one you know one um, outcome different from what they should be looking for from an incentives perspective?
3: This is a very very important point. Billing companies are compensated as generally as a percentage of collections so their incentive is clearly to increase collections one way to do that is to cut salaries it's to go use people who are offshore who are paid a third or a quarter of what an american salary might be and another way to do that is to push the envelope on coding is to uh, uh upcode Um, when there's an opportunity, when there's an easy opportunity and, um, submit claims that are, are not justified by the medical record. Um, where most coding companies, at least ours, works on a per encounter or per operation basis. And it doesn't really matter to us at all if it's a level one or a level three visit. Um, we get paid the same amount. If it's uh, on a surgical operation, if it's a minor um, uh, appendectomy, or if it's a major liver transplant, we get paid the same amount. Our coders get paid the same amount. So there is, our, our incentive is accuracy. We don't have, we, we don't work on, a uh, and most coding companies don't work on a percentage of uh, of collections. Uh, Neil, I don't
2: know if you want to expand upon this. But. No, I I think what you said is uh, appropriate. I, I did want to go back to your point about um, the incentives, though, because um, one of the things that you find is that because of some of these compliance issues, some of the companies that are offshore based have uh, opened up offices in the United States. Now, these are small offices, they may have a handful of people, maybe some project management people, all the assets of the companies and whatnot may be offshore. And you see a lot of this going on where you can start off with somebody that is onshore, but then the stuff is transferred offshore. And unfortunately, we've had clients come to us where they've had these experiences and they said, you know, we thought we were buying onshore uh, coding and we found out later on that that wasn't the case, and you know, and so the the company had assured us, but you know, uh, unfortunately, not everybody has the same level of integrity, and so that that happens uh, unfortunately with great frequency. The best way to avoid that is by making sure that the company doesn't do anything offshore.
1: Yeah, it's the old bait and switch. Yep. Well, the, the interesting part when you. Get into compliance issues, <clears throat> and you talk about things like the GDPR. Um, that you know that's a big privacy issue in in the EU, and um, when you talk about that you really have to figure out where that information is being stored. So if it's even stored in some server in, in uh, the UK or, or somebody somewhere in Europe um, that falls under the GDPR that automatically attaches to it. And the, the penalties for violations of that privacy policy is uh, that privacy regulation are tremendous. So you really got to be careful about who you use and where your information goes and where it's being stored. Um, you know, on the, on the incentive standpoint for coders you talk about a compliance officer's nightmare is having your coders being uh, reimbursed or incentivized based upon the levels of service and how many they code and how many they bill out Um, that is the number one way of of pretty much Guaranteeing a corporate integrity agreement and a you know seven to eight figure refund <laughs> uh, or a penalty associated with it. So so you know ultimately flat flat rates and and different incentives for coders versus you know percentage of collections. I do think that you know that's the best way to yield um, uh, you know the best revenue cycle pieces of it. When you talk about just kind of wrapping it up and and being able to to use. An outsourced billing, or an even an outsourced coding company. When you talk about flexibility, uh, for example, you know I'm a multi-specialty company. I really want to add. I'm, let's say I'm an emergency medicine group, and I want to add anesthesia. Uh, it's totally different coding than than emergency medicine, right? Um, and but your provider, but your billing company, who's doing your coding, can only do, doesn't do anesthesia, right? So what do you do, right? So you so you either go out and get a new coding company or do you get another billing company? Your flexibility seems to go down, right? When you're in a one-stop shop that may not have the expertise across the board or they try to hire up and you get um, kind of the lesser of, of what you need from a coding perspective. Let's talk a little bit about flexibility and and how that how that would work better from a coding, uh, multi, you know, an outsourced coding company.
3: Well, I'm going to start here. Um, uh, you... Using a separate billing company and a different than coding company gives you gives the client um, the flexibility of evaluating both functions separately and their billing and collecting may be flawless and it may be the best in the, in the country, but if their coding is not acceptable, if it's not accurate, then they're stuck. And they have to to change um, both. They have to give up the good billing to get good coding. They have to go shopping for it and it's really um, uh, a full-time job to to do that. So having it done by two separate companies gives management the ability to replace one company that might be one one function that might be underperforming such as coding With another company while keeping that really good billing and collecting operation in place or vice versa. If the coding is excellent, but the billing uh, has undergone changes and is deteriorated and the quality is now bad because ownership changes or or people have bought new people bought or invested in the company, then they can keep the good coding and just get a different billing company. So, so that's a level of flexibility. That's available using uh, two different sources for for this different work, Neil. I don't know if you have.
1: Yeah, Neil, and I was going to say, you know, there are different performance indicators for each one of those that may, you know, be able to evaluate the separate billing and and coding companies to to make sure that they play off of each other, right? Because if you have the best of the best on best of the best on both sides then your yield should be the best of the best. And are there different like performance indicators that, that you think are important for for you know them to be able to perform so that you don't have to have flexibility?
2: Yeah, so I go ahead the billing companies you know tend to focus on the same things that revenue cycle managers focus on metrics of days in AR um, turn around to the time the claim gets out the door. those types of things are, Tending to be the metrics of uh, of what happens, and um, you know what level of uh, write offs do you have, etc. In the coding world, um, the only way you can get to a good metric is to be audited, and we encourage our clients to audit us all the time. Um, And so we have the benefit of not only internally auditing, which we do, and the of every time we put people on a project and then audit them quarterly. But we, we also have the benefit of our clients auditing us uh, from a multitude of sources, uh, compliance officers and their audit teams internally in organizations or them bringing in other audit vendors to audit us. And it, and that gives us a, um, a sense that we can... Um, stand up to anybody, anywhere, and say, this is the best coding you can buy. It, don't believe us. Believe all of these people who are auditing us all the time. And and that's really the key to the thing. So while we feel we have a really robust internal audit program, it's the combination of the internal and the external that really make it work. Absolutely. Excellent,
1: excellent. Well, it's a great discussion today and I appreciate your time. Just to kind of wrap it up and bring it all together, we talked about the dangers of outsourcing a billing and coding company and having it all in one place, um, looking at the different skill sets that are required for both. And then sometimes when it's an all-in-one company, they they may not be able to be the best of the best on both sides of the house, um, just because of the pure economic factor of what it takes to manage that and the years of experience that it takes to do it. Um, also how they are incented uh, on a billing company versus a coding company. And that could actually play into how much time and effort they put into each one of those different um, items. And then finally, if you're looking as a healthcare company, you you need to probably look at the flexibility from that standpoint because Things could go wrong, and if they do go wrong, then you need to be able to move things pretty quickly, and changing revenue cycle companies, billing companies, coding companies is not an easy thing, and you don't want to do it all at one time, and if it's all in one place, um, that's not necessarily the best. And Neil, you talked a little bit about the race to the bottom um, from pricing standpoint on billing companies and revenue cycle companies. Um, you know, really, when you talk about if you outsource coding and you outsource billing, um, your yield is going to be higher, you're going to have far less compliance issues. And ultimately, your ROI is going to be better, regardless of your your cost per per claim or your your, um, you know, cost charge per per encounter is going to to go up and you're going to see a better benefit that way. So I really appreciate your time today. Um, and uh, we'll we'll talk next time.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: For listening to the Coding Compliance Podcast: The Good, Bad, and Ugly. Sponsored by Ronan Healthcare Consultants and the Coding Network, with our hosts Ross Ronan, Neil Green, and Mark Babs. Please tune in to iTunes and Spotify on the first Friday of each month for a new episode. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our podcast website or leave us a review.